0: If they have not done so, we would invite all of our kids from nursery all the way up to second grade to head out to Children's Church today. For the rest of you, you are stuck with me. I did take off the jacket, not because I am scared of you, but because I do not want anything to distract us from the Word of God, and that jacket would distract anybody from anything. So, Amen. I get amens for that. That's good. It's nice nice to know that's what it takes. Uh, All right, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be reading uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 3 through 11. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. The word of God says this, it says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. And constant friction between men of deprived minds and, of the, and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied with contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a snare of many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love perseverance, and gentleness. Please be seated. We are continuing our kind of series in the month of October. We're taking some time to, to talk about stewardship. And, and, and with that, we're talking about things like generosity. And, and really today, we're going to spend a little time kind of, kind of with a theology of money, if you will. We're going to talk about the theology of stuff. Or of wealth. Now, I, I find this passage to be particularly interesting, and we've, we've kind of talked about this in the past where every once in a while, either either one of the authors of the Gospels or, or Paul or, or, or maybe someone else in the New Testament begins to kind of introduce us to a group of people that they were having to deal with at that time. And, and Paul is no exception here. Paul is, is writing to Timothy. He is Timothy is this young man that has been traveling with Paul, has been his, uh, someone that he has mentored and brought up in the faith and who ultimately he planted somewhere. You know, we've, we've been talking about going on missions, and, and one of the things we do in this church is try to partner with churches that are planting in new areas, and that's kind of what Timothy was. He was kind of a church planter. He had been traveling with Paul. And and one of the places that a, a church had been started and people were worshiping was this place called Ephesus, which we know because of the book of Ephesians. And that's where he left Timothy. He said, I want you to stay here. You're going to be with this church and you're going to you're going to pastor or you're going to, you know, oversee and lead this church. And in the midst of all of this, Paul sends Timothy. We know of at least two letters. I am confident that he sent way, way more than that to instruct and to disciple Timothy on such things. And a part of that first letter that we have, he talks about this group of people. This group of people that are are, are doing some things that they should not be doing. And as I was reading this, I kind of got to thinking about um, you know, I don't know if I'm a big movie guy. I don't know if you're a, a big movie person. I, I, by now you've figured out I'm a movie person because I talk about movies all the time. And and one of the, the trends that we see in movies right now is there's tons of biopics, right? There's tons of, of movies about famous people and 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 what their life was like. And I think one of the, you know, we said, you know, Will Smith did Ali. And then uh, Jamie Foxx did Ray. That was kind of the, one of the first ones that I remember in that big, long line. And even coming up here not too far in the future, there's like a big movie about all these these professional wrestling family and all the stuff that, that they're going through, the Von Erich family. And so there are, we're, we get kind of hit with one every about every season. And I started to notice, and I watched a few, and I'll be honest, I, I kind of lost interest in, in learning about other people's lives. I'm still trying to figure my life out. And uh, but because I started to notice there's like this routine and kind of the 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 biography movies of the last, say, decade, they kind of follow a formula. And I don't know if you've noticed that usually starts off with you have kind of the main character, the person who's the movies about and and they they're they're getting started and all they know is they love music or they love uh, their family or they love uh, they love playing an instrument or they 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 love the sport that they play tracking with me. And they say, all, all I want in the world is to play professional baseball. Or all I want in the world is to be on a stage and hear people clapping. And then you get to see them start to go through that process. And they start playing. And then they, they kind of, then they, like if it's a musician, then they find their sound. Or then they, they finally have their first boxing match. And it's a Success. And then almost always in these movies, after that first big success, you see they're just off to the races and then just suddenly things are happening so fast. But then as things happen so fast, with that, like temptation comes in and suddenly there are things offered to them that they weren't expecting. You know, there's things that come with fame and success that that are are not good things. But because of, of their life and because of everything happening so fast, they can't discern that. And then suddenly they find themselves starting to slip deeper and deeper into a darker and darker place. And whether it's drug use or, or bad relationships or some sort of exploitation by a, a manager or whatever it might be until eventually they, they've lost control and they hit rock bottom. And then depending on the movie, it may end there or it may you get to see the big comeback, right? Does this sound familiar? When I was reading this, you're thinking, yeah, what does this have to do with the passage we just read? When I was reading this passage and I thought about these people that he describes here, when I thought about these people in chapter 6 when he says, Um, that these are advocates of a different doctrine they don't agree with sound words but they've they've become conceited and their their interest is is in controversial questions and disputes and and they like to kind of kind of do things that promote envy and strife and they do all of these things why why do they do these things verse 5 it says who suppose that godliness is a means for gain as i thought about these people I wonder if some of them came into the church for the first time and, and, and it, with honest, open, with open hearts and open minds said, something's going on here, and this is something special. And they, they kept coming, and they were part of, of, of whatever church it was or whatever gathering it might have been, and then somewhere along the way they said, hey, I think I can do what they're doing. And, and, and maybe the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with it. They just saw what they were doing and saw the reaction, saw the pop, that, that kind of went with these people's worship and said, hey, I want to do that too. I want to experience that same thing. I want to feel the same butterflies and experience the same pop and, and really and, and do that. And so they, they said, I want to do that. And so they took what somebody did, like Paul, and they began to mimic Paul. But they were mimicking Paul, not because they loved Jesus, but because they liked the reaction that it got. And they got that reaction. And you know what? When they started doing that, people started taking care of them, maybe giving them food, providing a place for them to stay, giving them letters to go into another place and, and the stuff they needed to start traveling. And as they started doing it a, a little bit more, people started giving more offerings to them and taking care of them a little bit more. And, and some people started to really take care of them because, you know, hospitality and, and some people just started to lavish that onto them. And then suddenly they realized that if they they said controversial things, and if they said things that really kind of were provocative and really got people thinking and talking, that then they'd get even more. And then people would say, you know i said i think the exact same thing and i'm going to give you and and, and, you know you keep doing what you're doing i'm going to support your ministry and so then now they have backers and as long as they keep saying what the people like them to say they're going to keep getting that that money is going to keep coming in that incomes keep coming in and now suddenly we have the people that paul is describing here they don't love god they love man and they love what man can give And they love the pop and they love the fame and they love all of that. And what they are ultimately doing is creating division and problem and and issues within the church. So much so that, that, that Paul has to say to Timothy, listen, these people exist and they are in it for the money. Stay away from them. Don't give them a microphone. Don't give them a time in your church. Don't help them along their way. You need to be discerning. Now, I'll be honest, I think we see that in our world today. And TikTok and YouTube and Facebook have really helped. But what I find most interesting about this is he addresses this group of people, but then he uses this group of people as really this springboard into talking about the appropriate use of wealth. And I don't think that that's a mistake either. Because what we see happening here is is someone who probably started off with very good intentions allowed for their success that they experienced and the wealth that came with that success to move them away from what preaching and teaching and and being an apostle and being a, a church leader was supposed to be into these other things. And so he's telling Timothy, he's saying, listen, we need to have a proper understanding of of money's role, of wealth's role in the life of the church and and really in Timothy's life so that we don't follow this exact same path. See, without a good theology or a good understanding of of wealth or of money and, and really with that of contentment, Every single one of us in this room can be tempted into going a place that God never intended us to go. And So as we look at our passage today, there's a few things I want to kind of pull out of this today. The first thing I, I want you to understand from our passage today is that money is not the root of all evil. I'm going to say it again because you're going to, you're going to get it when you get the second point. Money itself, money in and out of itself is not the root of all evil. Okay? Money by itself. Money is not an evil, wicked, sinful thing by itself. Because if we think about it, I want to go back to the text here in just a sec for just a second. I want you to go back to where it says um, verse eight. He says this, he says, For if we have food and clothing, with this we shall be content. See, you don't have food and clothing without money. He's not talking to Timothy who lives in a little commune out in the wilderness with a bunch of other monks or other people and they're all completely self-sufficient. That's not where Timothy's living. Timothy's living in a city in Ephesus. He does not have a farm. And probably most of the people in his church do not have a farm and are self-sufficient. They make money by doing things, whether they're a craftsman or they provide a service, and then they take that to market. They buy, get money for that. They take that to market and they buy things. That is the economy that Timothy is living in. And when he says, if we have food and clothing, we should be content, he's talking about if we have the money to buy these things, we should be, we should be happy about it money allows us to buy the food and to care for our family to provide shelter and all the things necessary for us to live money also allows us to care for others it is through our money that we get to have things like generosity it is through the things that we have and that can take many forms sometimes because god has blessed you in a certain way you have things that someone else doesn't have maybe it's a tool maybe it's a lawnmower Maybe it's, it's, it's certain uh, uh, cooking equipment. Who, who knows? You have things in your life that probably somebody at some point has said, man, I could use that. And you've said, I hope, hope you've said, you can borrow that. I think David Veers over here needs to put little trackers on all the tools in his barn so that he maybe someday gets them back. But that's because of the generosity that comes with that. Do you need it? I have it. You can use it. How many of us in this room have at one point in our lives or another because of either a tragic event or or maybe a good thing had people come and bring you food? I'll never forget when my wife's grandfather passed away and we went to the funeral and as we walked into the house uh, and we were kind of the last people there because we had the greatest distance to go. And as we walked in the house, we literally got hit with the smell of all of this food and their table and the counters and the, and the stove and everything in their house had was just they had just been given casserole upon casserole upon casserole and thanks to my wife's enjoyment of all that food audrey was born in illinois that was a church That was a church that had come in and said, "Hey, you've got family coming in. You've got all this stuff going on. We don't want you to have to worry about cooking. They they brought paper plates and plastic cutlery. We don't have to want to have to worry about you cleaning everything. We want to take care of you during this time, because because you don't. We don't even want you to worry about having to take care of yourself. That's the generosity that comes with from money. Money is not an evil, wicked thing. It is good." for us to have money and to work for money so that we might take care of ourselves and not be a burden to someone else, but also take care of others. In just a few verses, look at Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. He talks to the wealthy, and he doesn't just shame them for being wealthy, but rather he tells them this is the appropriate use of wealth. He says, instruct those who are rich in the present age to not be arrogant or to set hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on god who richly provides us with things all things to enjoy instruct them to do what is good to be rich in good works to be generous and willing to stay, share storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life see see paul's not telling timothy hey all the rich people in your congregation should confess and repent and give away all that money and live lives of poverty. That's not what he says. Money is not bad in and of itself. And when we use our money, as it says, to be rich in good works, to be generous and being willing to share, this glorifies God. And believe it or not, the, the job you work, the paycheck you get, all of those things are, are things that you can use to glorify God in ways beyond just your monthly tithe. But in every act of generosity, and every act of service, even in the way in which you conduct yourself at your jobs, you bring glory and honor to God. And this is a good thing. Now, it is a good thing that can turn into a very bad thing. See, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, but it does say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, the, 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 the thing behind it and the thing that I really want to focus on is, is this idea of loving money. And and that's a that's something that we really gotta take a step back on. What does it mean to love money? Your pizza's ready. Uh I'm sorry. But love of money, when we think about this, love of money money that is this idea that now suddenly it means more and I actually want to give you a um I actually want to give you an example because I think Jesus communicated it best and he does so through a parable in Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12 starting in verse 16 you don't need to turn there you can just listen. It says this, it says then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, "What should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crop? I will do this." I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, drink and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? That is how it is with one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. This is a great and powerful illustration of what it means to be in love with money. And so we have this, this guy, and he he has this unbelievable year with his crop just just unbelievable this is this is well before you know our day and age today where we have all these high yield uh crops and we can do all that stuff and so you know it could be hit or miss and if you had if you had disease hit your your land you were in deep trouble if locusts came through you were in big trouble if there was not enough rain you were in big trouble all sorts of things but this guy had the perfect year Like the hundred year harvest where everything was right. Just the right amount of water. Just the right amount of sunlight. Everything came in in season at the right time. Planted at the right time. Everything about this crop was extraordinary. And he has one of the biggest harvests of his life. To the point that all of his preparation, his barns, his his silos, everything that he needs to to store his grain and to take care of himself, it exceeds it beyond his, his imagination. And he is brought to a question. What do I do with the excess? I can't store it. I I don't have a place to put it. It'll take me forever to to eat it. It's not like I can have a really big feast and use it up. I have got more than I know what to do with. What should I do? We've talked about this parable before in the past and the options that were available to him. But no, at no point, what I want to point out is at no point in this, did the mindset or the thought, I can bless someone else with this. I can give this away. I can help the poor. I can give it to the temple um, and they can distribute it or use it in their, their, their worship. I can, I, there is no point in any of this that he said, how might someone else benefit from this blessing that I have received? Not one time. What should I do with it? I know. I'll build bigger bigger barns, bigger silos. I'm going to keep it all for myself and then I'm going to use all of it up and live the the sweet life until it's all used up. And we see what God's response to that ultimately um, in the story, God takes this man's life and, and says, now what's going to happen to it? See, you weren't going to give it to anybody else, but now everyone else is going to get it. The man chose to keep all that he had for himself. And he was not generous towards God nor to his fellow man. And because of that, God judged him. See, a love of money means that we put money and the things associated with money, things like power, comfort, having all the things, just wealth in general, even the security that might be perceived from wealth, we put all of those things at a higher value than trust in God and obedience to Him. A love of money says, I earned this, I deserve it, and I'm going to keep it. A love for money says to the less fortunate, you made your bed and you need to sleep in it. What is your situation to me? I didn't do it to you. You need to figure it out yourself. A love of money says, treat yourself and treat yourself first, always. See, a love for money will not say to the Lord, your God, that I love you with all of my being. A love for money will not let you love your neighbor as yourself. A love of money says to love yourself first, most important, and if there is a little bit left over at the end, then you might spare it unless you can think of something better. So then the question is, and the instruction to, to Timothy is how? How do we not allow a love for money to slip into to our mindset and to our thought process? And, and guys, we gotta be really honest with ourselves. It's easy that a love for money, we live in a culture that, that, that practically blindsides you continually about how much you need to love yourself. Popular psychology tells us this, every car commercial tells us this, everything we do and and almost everything surrounding our culture tells you, hey, love yourself first, take care of yourself first, meet your needs first, put you first in all things, all the time in every way. But the Bible says something very different. The Bible reminds us, in fact, our passage reminds us that all of these things, money, Wealth, power and prestige in this world, comfort in this world, all of these things are temporary and they hold no eternal value. 1 John 2.17 says it this way. It says, And the world and with its lusts is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. See, we need to remember that when we think about the things we have. You have no guarantee that what you have, no matter how much you value it, is going to even exist in a few years. And whether it's land that the government takes by eminent domain, a business that your children divide up into so many different pieces and ultimately ceases to exist a bank account that is going to probably eventually get, get slowly taken away because of either, either your own personal needs or your kids distributing out to kids and grandkids and great-grandkids down the way. Most of us, all of the wealth that we have right now will at best be found in an antique store 50 years from now collecting dust and hoping to be sold for 75 cents. true we were not made to cling to things that will not matter in just a few decades now having said that it doesn't mean that we just throw it all out the window it doesn't mean that we just take our jobs and 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 and, and quit them and just live off of the generosity of others It doesn't mean we take our cardboard sign and put, please help, hungry, and go stand at a strategic location in Elizabethtown. Work. Earn an income. Provide for your family. Provide for yourself. By all means, work. Work that you are provided for. But do not work in such a way that you neglect the reason you exist. See, I think one of the biggest temptations when it comes to wealth and even making money is that we find ourselves working ourselves to death. And we completely take up all that we are and all that we do, that all of our energy is expelled because of work. And work will let us do that. How many of you, is, I don't want to raise hand here, how many of us have jobs that do not respect any sort of boundary whatsoever? There is no time that that you are free that they're going to, they have no problem calling you when they have a question on your free time. They have no time asking you to come in extra. They have no problem just sucking the very life out of your soul. Don't answer that question. I really don't want to know. But I work with a lot of people between the ages of 18 to 30. Yeah, pastors in the room especially don't answer that question. I've worked with a lot of young people in the past few years between the the ages of 18 to 30, and I'm going to tell you something. For this younger generation, for us older people in the room, work does not respect their boundaries. Work does not respect them as people. And they are told when they're 18, 19, 20, you sell your soul to this company or you won't have a job come Christmas. You were not made to live that way. You were not created to expend every single piece of energy you have for a corporation. Let me tell you why you were created. Let me, you, let's, not, let, let's not take my opinion for this. Let's look to the scriptures. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, it says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we have not stopped praying for you, Now, I want you to listen to this. He said, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Think about this for a second. The number one thing that Paul was praying for in the church of Colossae was that they would walk worthy worthy of the Lord be pleasing to him that they would bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. That's why you exist. You exist to bring glory to God. And you bring glory to God by Knowing Him more by worshiping, not just worshiping Him on Sunday mornings, but worshiping Him in every area of your life by bearing fruit in good works, by being disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. disciples. That's why you exist. You don't exist to make tacos. Tacos are great. I love tacos. We're about to have some tacos. You should have seen the celebration I did last night when we left the airport and we had to stop for gas and the gas station had a Taco John's in it. Lost my mind. I I miss tacos. You do not exist to make tacos. You do not exist to increase the shareholders' worth in a corporation. Controversially, you don't just exist to be a nurse, teach children, be a soldier. We don't even really just exist to be a pastor. We exist to bring glory to God. We exist to further the kingdom of God. We exist to be obedient to the Lord so that we might shine a light to people who are living in darkness so that the worship of God may increase fivefold until everyone on this planet has heard the good news of the gospel and is being discipled to follow Him. That's why you exist. And we can do that through our work. We can do that through teaching children, being a nurse, working in a corporation, being in the service industry, being a parent, being retired. All of these things, we glorify God and we can do these things with that purpose in mind, but don't lose it in chasing after money and wealth. By contrast, listen To the words of Paul, be content. If you have food, if you have clothes, then it is well. Give your heart and give your life to God. Make sure that in everything you do, that you are doing what you've been called to do. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength loving your neighbor as yourself, making the Great Commission a reality as we go and make disciples of all nations. That which God freely gives, let us freely give as well. May we value souls in pleasing the Lord above things such as wealth and all of the temporary things of this world. May we use our money, but not love money, and the worldly things that go with it. Let us be followers of Jesus and eagerly sacrifice as He did. I want to leave you with a passage of Scripture that I'm sure you know quite well, but I think speaks so much about how we should hold on to things. And it's found in Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 5, it says this, it says, "...have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If the man that we follow if this jesus the god who put on flesh did not hold on to his very nature his god you know his throne and his godly nature but willingly emptied himself out so that we might know him and have a restored relationship with god i beg you people do not hold on to the things of this world but let go so that we too might point people to Jesus and see the world transformed by the gospel if you are with us today and you've been caught up in the rat race and maybe you've been caught up in the rat race so much that that you really have completely lost sight of spiritual things and you're in a hunt or you're in a search for meaning and purpose in life because you maybe you've come to the realization that all of the meaning and purpose that you've been told is the out there for you has true, has actually turned out to be worthless when you're looking for truth and you're looking for real meaning and real purpose today we present you jesus that god put on flesh Lived a perfect life so that he could die the death that we deserved. And having been crucified on the cross, he rose from the grave three days later, defeating death in the grave and giving us new life in him. And this life comes with purpose. And this life comes with meaning. And we are called, indeed, we are commissioned to go and make disciples. And we are inviting you into that life into that adventure that takes us both across the street and across the globe. This invitation comes with recognizing that we are all sinners, that we have not done what God has called us to do, and we don't just mean that in a vague theological sense, but that you specifically have sinned against God and deserve His judgment when we understand that we also begin to realize that that is why jesus came and that jesus really was god in the flesh that he really did die on a cross and he really did rise from the grave three three days later and the bible says that if you believe that and that you confess him as lord which means that you say from this point forward i'm not going to do things my way or the world's way because i've already done that and it didn't lead anywhere and it's left me hollow and void so now i'm going to do it your way god I'm going to do it your way, Yahweh. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm going to follow you, and I'm not going to do it perfectly, and I'm still going to make mistakes, but I'm going to make sure I'm pointed your direction from this day forward. If you are ready to do that and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, then we want to help you do that. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you on that path. And if you'd like to do that, I'm going to be standing right up front, and you can come up and have a conversation with me. But you don't have to. Because odds are if you're in that place here, someone came with you today and you're sitting next to them, they can have that conversation with you as well. But don't keep just running in this rat race because you know where it goes. For the rest of us, I want to challenge you today. In what ways or in what areas of your life are you still clinging to the things of this world? Are you still holding on to hope in your wealth or your bank account? Are there areas in your life where you are still holding on to things and saying, no, 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 i got to take care of myself first? What are the things that you need to freely give to the Lord? Maybe you're here today and you've never given to the church. We don't keep track of, well, I don't keep track of those things. Maybe it's time you start. Maybe it's time you take a portion. Maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 10%. And say, God, I I trust you enough that I want to give to the kingdom. Maybe it's your time. And you're not really serving in the church, you're just showing up on Sundays. And it's time for you to say, listen, I got an evening. Maybe I'll host a home group or teach a home group. Or serve in, in a, a ministry in our church that I think could I could really benefit from or they could really benefit from. Maybe it's your resources. Maybe you've got skills and you can say, hey, from this day forward, you never need to worry about the electricity, the heating, the light fixtures, the carpet, I don't know. This is something I know a thing or two about and I want, to donate. I want to give of my skills and my time to the church for that glory. Or maybe it's like, hey, I can do something if there's needs in our community and there's an opportunity for me to share Christ with people by doing this, then I want to do that. How is God challenging you and pulling you to say, listen, give up the things of this world and pursue the kingdom? If you'd like to come up to the steps and maybe talk to God a little bit about what that might look like, I would invite you to do so. You can do that totally on your own. If you'd like to tell me how you think God's calling you to greater service for His kingdom, I'd love to talk to you about that so at the very least I can pray for you. I want to challenge you today. Make a decision. How can you live out what we've talked about today? Live out the the instruction of Paul today in your life practically now. And whether you come up forward or you stay in your seat, I want to challenge you to when you leave here today to start living out that challenge. Let's pray together. My God, my joy, thank you so much for today. And God, and thank you for your word. Lord, it is always hard to talk about things like money and finance, it's always hard to talk about the things in our life that we value and really the things in in our life that that the world tells us to value. But God, you've called us to see things in a much bigger way. You've called us to see things in in, in the perspective of the kingdom. And God, sometimes that means stepping out of what is comfortable and, and even maybe sacrificing that which we value. God, I pray that we would rise to that challenge today. God, that we would see the, the great missionary task that is before us. And whether we are called to make disciples in this room or across the street or across the world, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to sacrifice our time, our, our resources, our, our, even our skills and, and our, our, our talents, Lord, for the sake of the kingdom. God, I pray that you would teach us to be content. Lord, I'm scared to ask that because I don't know what loss might come with that. But God, help us to remember the words of Job when he said, I I came into this world naked, I'll leave this world naked, but you get all the glory. And God, may we look at all of the things that we have and may we lift them up to you with open hands and say, your will be done. My God and my joy, if there's anyone in this room that this message has resonated with and they and because of that they are ready to give their life to Jesus Lord I pray that today would be the day they do so and whether that happens over a meal when they leave this building or they come up front right now and we have a conversation about it God I pray that you would would just stir up their hearts to to follow you and that through that God they would have new life in the spirit and a church family where they can grow and fulfill their purpose God, for the rest of us, I know that there are things that we need to decide and that there are areas of ministry and life that they need to lift up to you and that there are ways that they need to grow deeper in their trust of you. God, I pray that they would leave this place today resolved to further your kingdom in one area of their life that they haven't been. And that, God, through that, you might be glorified And the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forth in a powerful way. And Lord, that this world would be transformed. God, we ask all these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.